God and Father, let's pray together. There is no one like you. I pray that as we sit, as we listen, as we open our hearts to the wonders that are in your word, we would have an encounter with you. God, could it not just be me speaking, but your power through me bringing our hearts towards you, God. That's what we're here for this morning. And we just want to tell you, you are worthy. So fill us, be with us, speak to us, please. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The series is Acts Masterclass, and we are in fact on a mission to become masters in the book of Acts. So I don't know what your experience is with God's Word or how much you read your Bible or get into your Bible throughout the week, but here's the cool thing about this series. If you stick with me, by the time we are done, you will be a master in the book of Acts, okay? So you can have one, you're like, Matthew, nah, I don't know, Mark, Luke, John, hey, Acts is my bread and butter. Stick with me. We're going to study this chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I do want to remind you, if you're like, hey, we got a lot going on, and uh, I was kind of hoping you could talk to me about my marriage or talk to me about my anxiety or something like that, we're going to take on the book of Acts in chunks. So we'll go like seven weeks, and then we'll jump back and talk about some more life issues, and then we'll take seven weeks and get back, and I mean, we're just going to stick with this thing. Hey, Matt, when is it going to be done? I have no idea. We're going to make it up as we go, and we're going to study the Bible, and we're going to have a whole lot of fun along the way, okay? So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. If you're following along or you have a phone, you want to make sure I'm not making this stuff up. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Hang out in chapter 2. I'll get there eventually, and we'll do a little review. In the meantime, the book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a doctor. He became a Jesus follower after investigating the life and ministry of Jesus and, and talking to him about that stuff. And then Luke writes down everything that Jesus did in his life in the book of Luke. And then he writes down everything that Jesus continued to do through the Holy Spirit and through the church. And so over the book of Acts, we cover 10,000 miles of gospel travel through the Roman Empire and beyond. And then 30 years of history unfold in this book that we're reading. The main character in this book, though, is not Luke. It's not any of the apostles or, or any of these guys. It's the Holy Spirit. And so when you're like, ACTS, why is this called the book of Acts? We're studying the acts of the Holy Spirit, the way the Holy Spirit moved and, and drove the gospel forward and built the church. And, and we've stopped along the way, which we'll do today, and talk about how we interact with the Holy Spirit in our lives today. As believers, our lives are formed and shaped and propelled forward by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something? The Christian life is impossible. You can't do it. You can't be everything that Jesus wants you to be. You can't do everything that you were made to do in your own strength. But when you are filled and walk in the strength of the Holy Spirit, He empowers you to do everything that Jesus has called you to do and to be everything that Jesus has called you to be. And so we're talking about that. And, and I just want to tell you as we go, I believe we can do this. I'm serious. I believe in the year 2022 we could become a group of people who are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in relationship with that Spirit in such a way that the power of God moves through us in our individual lives and in us as a church. We are going to settle for nothing less. And so 
when we started in chapter 1, we see Jesus did in fact raise from the dead and he gets together with his disciples and, and gives them these instructions. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit gets here. Trust me, it, you don't stand a chance without him. And so they do just that and they're together. They're in this upper room in the city of Jerusalem and they are praying in faith and waiting. They're trusting Jesus at his word and they're waiting for this gift of the Holy Spirit. And Judas has wandered off. They appoint a new apostle to be a witness to the resurrection and now they're in a room waiting. Have you ever had to wait on something in your life and the wait cost you or took way longer than you expected? I'll never forget when a blonde Disney princess named Elsa took over the world and the heart of our firstborn daughter. And we had just moved to California uh, the year that the movie Frozen came out and Frozen comes out and then heck, we're out here. And now instead of a 16 hour drive to get to Disney, you know, it's like up the road here, 90 minute drive to get to Disney. And we have a kid and she's in the Disney sweet spot where she just looks adorable and cute and sweet. And she's still, um, adorable and cute but sweet she's kind of working on it as she becomes a teenager uh, don't tell her I said that but but the uh, the phenomenon sweeps through the nation so I, like any good father I'm like I got to take my daughter to see Elsa and so what we did is I asked all you guys hey when you guys do Disney what are all your tricks where do you stay how do you do it all this stuff and and so we go up to Disney and and we get there early before the park opens and there are Thousands of people, you know, like the two gates, like California Adventure right here, and, and then Disney over here, and there's a sea of people in front of the gates, and we were still new here, and I was like, wow, I guess what they were saying about population in California is true, like all these people are here, and this must be like a normal day at Disney. No, this was a crowd who had also shown up for the unique occasion of a visit with Elsa, okay? So, so Little Mermaid, Ariel's just over there just kicking rocks. She's lonely. Cinderella's just lonely. I think she was smoking a cigarette behind it. No, I'm just kidding. But, like, but nobody cares anything about those girls because, because Elsa and Anna are here and we get there and we find out that this whole crowd that was in front of us goes straight to where Elsa is and we waited not one, not two, but three hours to get the photo that was taken right here. It was a long wait. Some of you can be remember and you can think back to times when you wanted your driver's license so bad and, and you got the car and you were 15 and then you had the permit and you went and drove and, and the drives became you know a little more free and you're a little by yourself and then there was a test and you were waiting for the day that that license would get here and it felt like it took forever. Maybe you were engaged and you had made a decision and you had placed a ring on a finger and you were looking forward to that day and that dress and those moments and that new life and starting out together on your own. That can be a long wait. Maybe you remember uh, getting pregnant for the first time and, and, and you were waiting to see who this baby would be and what it would look like and what the features would be and you remember what it's like to wait. Oh, the disciples are waiting. But they're not just waiting five days, ten days, thirty days. They don't know the only instructions they were given were to wait. 
wait till when, Jesus? What's the itinerary, Jesus? Like, is it wait till a full moon? Like, okay, there were 40 days between this event and this event, and is it going to be another 40 days? And it seems like God really likes sevens. Are we doing seven days? Jesus, when is it coming? Like, is it now or is it later? Is it like wait up here indefinitely? Like, can we send somebody out to go get food and bring it back? And they just sit, and day by day, moment by moment, the clock ticks slowly until we get to chapter 2, verse 1, and the promise of the Holy Spirit begins to unfold. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Now we can locate ourselves in history, okay? So, so Passover was the night that Jesus was arrested. This is 50 days after that, okay? So Jesus shows himself for 40 days. Ten more days go by from that ascension till now. It is pa uh, it's the feast of Pentecost. Pentecost takes place 50 days. Penta, after the Passover feast. Here's what you need to know about uh, Pentecost at this moment in history. On this day, Jerusalem is probably the most traveled to place on earth. Passover was this somber feast where they remembered being delivered. Israel remembered being delivered from slavery out of Egypt. And it was somber and it was still the rainy season from the spring. And so they couldn't really like travel far because the roads would be washed out. But Pentecost is when Israel would celebrate two things. Number one, the harvest. So all the crops, everything is done. All the hard work is done. Their pockets are full of money. They got some coins so they can travel. And they would come from all over and celebrate the harvest together on top of that Jewish tradition teaches us if you go to Exodus 19 and 20 when God gives the law to Israel so God steps into history and he gives Israel the first five books what you read in your Bible we get that here and they celebrate not only the harvest but the fact that God loved us he chose us he guided us and he directed us through his mighty word into the lives we live today it was this party and so people would come from all over the known world uh, and all these different Jewish people and Israelites scattered from all over would come to Jerusalem to party together to celebrate the goodness of God the harvest and be together remembering when God had given them the law. Verse 2 says, suddenly, and we're back in this upper room, it says, the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Apparently, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to knock before he enters a room. It sounds like a violent wind. As a guy who grew up in tornado country, I can tell you that it is hard to tell the difference in a violent wind and a train going by your house sometime. And, and so people saw Jesus, but now the full force of the Spirit of Jesus is unleashed and begins to fill a room. You better believe people were ducking, they were hiding, and they were looking around. And I love that the Holy Spirit shows up like this because I get tired of looking at pictures of Jesus looking all skinny, walking around in a skirt. Here we go. The full power of God unleashed through Christ blows into the room and you better believe everybody stops and pays attention. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be, not what was, but what seemed to be tongues of fire. Highlight it, circle it, underline it. If you are a note taker or a Bible person, you can just circle that in your notes and it's important. It says, seemed to be what tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. Time out. Through the whole entirety of Scripture, when we see 
fire, it represents the presence of God. Okay, so when God first spoke to Moses, there was a bush, but what do we know about the bush? It was burning. When God gives the law in Exodus 19 and 20, it, it's like this volcano, but it's like a reverse volcano. It's not like this mountain goes up into fire. It's like fire drops down on the mountain and there is fire and it's to let everybody know that God has stepped onto the mountain. When Elijah in your scriptures battles those prophets of Baal and, and there's those two altars and God decides to come down and put to rest the fact that these Baals and these false gods and these false prophets mean nothing and that that he is the one true God. He shows up in fire. Why does it matter? How does that shape the way I live my life in the year 2022? I'll tell you, fire comes to dwell in and amongst the people of God when the Holy Spirit is given. In times past, the Spirit came to certain places, certain people, for certain times. When the Holy Spirit is given, tongues of fire come and rest on each and every person. Here's your note if you're a note taker. The presence of God now dwells in and among believers. Where's God? How do I find God? I want to go and be with God. Can I tell you something? You don't need a pilgrimage. You, if you have been baptized and are filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, are more holy than any location in, the, in Israel, the Holy Land, all of it. Can I tell you something? That's just dirt now. You, being indwelt, by the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit are more holy than any mosque, any cathedral, any temple, or any place on earth you can find yourself. Now this makes us feel uncomfortable. It kind of sounds like I'm like lowering the standard. Can I tell you something? When you think about what this means, this raises the bar. Because how often have you heard somebody, maybe you were growing up with somebody, and they go, don't speak like that in church. Or they would treat the Bible, and I do believe the Bible is the Word of God, and it's holy, and it's transformative, and all this stuff. But they'd say, don't let the Bible lay on the floor like that. There is more factual evidence in Scripture that the Holy Spirit and the presence of God dwells in you than there is that it does in the pages of a Bible. They're pages. And I don't want to be crass, so I'm not going to throw this around or anything like this. But I want you to take a good time out and start to think about that. The presence of Jesus Christ lives in you. You know what that means? It means what you allow your mind to dwell on matters. What you allow yourself to watch and consume and see, oh, it, it matters. The way you speak, the way you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ, whether or not they have the same kind of faith as you matters. When you speak of them, you are speaking of the dwelling place of the very presence of God, and that matters. Guys, we're three verses in. 
Verse 5, it says, Now there were in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every other nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each, each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in our own language? Translation, aren't these those like farmers and those hillbillies over there from yonder in the hill country? And all of a sudden, without education, without having visited Alexandria in Egypt or any of the other mighty institutions that the Greeks had established, these guys, the farmers, are now proclaiming the wonder of, of God in our language? It goes on. Parthians, Medes, Eomites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Could you imagine if San Diego hosted the next World Cup event and, and we, we, you know, there's this huge stadium and it's filled with people from all over the world, Arabs and Grecians and, and Persians and Egyptians and Africans and Asians all fill this stadium dressed in the, the, you know, the, the clothing and the, the jerseys of their team, but we're hosting, we're hosting uh, the World Cup, and so they give San Diego this section, and we got this section, and, and there's people from Del Mar and, and, and Poway and Chula Vista and National City, and, and, and there's people from Vista and Carlsbad, and we're all filling this section, and then all of a sudden, there's this huge stadium, and, people from all over the world, and, and right there in the San Diego section, all of a sudden there's this blowing wind, and, and a group of San Diegans, they stand up, and they start proclaiming the wonders of God, and it's undeniable, and you feel chills, and you can tell that God has just decided to move, and, and they're standing up, and they're talking to each of these other cultures in their own language, and I look at you, and you look at me, and you go, which of the San Diegans who, who is it that is doing this? Is it? It's got to be. It's got to be those folks from UTC. They live right by the school. And you're like, no, it's not the folks from UTC. And you're like, well, well, is it the people from Vista? Because you know they got a lot going on up there. And there's a lot of wealth up there. And you're like, no, it's not the people from Vista. I'm like, well, who is it? And you're like, Santee. I'm like, what? And you're like, yeah, the people from Santee. If you don't know that reference, I'm just going to leave that, okay? You can just ask a friend after this, okay? But we'll know, Santee, question mark. What was he talking? Trust me, it's the Galilee of San Diego County. And they stand and they proclaim the wonders of God in languages that everyone can understand. Oh my gosh, we're just getting to the good part. Okay. What does God want to say to us through this? Okay, I told you when we started the Book of Acts Masterclass, do you remember when we did Philippians? I told you, I'm not only going to teach you what Philippians says, but I want to teach you how to read your Bible. I don't want to teach you Bible study tips for when you read your Bible. Other places you can take the tip and apply it. I'm going to do another one right now. And it's, it's going to show us what this text means for us. First, a little review. Anybody remember this from Philippians? Our Bible study tip the whole time was context is, what, what was it? One person, king, thank you, thank you. We said context is king, read the whole thing. Okay, this is your Bible study tip. I want to show you something, and you can apply this to any passage in your Bible, and it's going to bring the meaning out of it, okay? Big questions, good questions, reveal big meaning. Good 
questions about the text will help you peel meaning out of it. So when you're home and you have your devotional or your you version or your reading plan or you just need some God in your life, I want to give you this. You open up your Bible and you start asking questions. This could be your Bible study on Monday. Read whatever you're going to read and I want you to write down as many questions about that section of Scripture as you possibly can. Watch what God does with it. Spend the rest of the week just trying to get the answers to your questions. Watch what God does with it. Because look at this passage. Okay, like, you, you, you've got a busy life, and you've got kids coming and going, and grandchildren, and things you've got to do, and places you've got to be, and all that stuff. If you were reading this, and, and we weren't here doing this right now, you might read that on a morning, and you go, oh, cool, God did that back then. And then you would go about your life, because you'd be like, what do I do with that? You'd read a narrative, and you go, wow, God spoke in a bunch of languages. That sure is neat. Thank you. And then you would go on with your day. But if you stop, and you ask questions like, why'd the Holy Spirit show up right then? What was he up to? What were the disciples doing when he showed up? What can we learn from that? And what did the Spirit accomplish that day? Then all of the sudden, questions can begin to extract meaning from the text for us. Let's try it together. Let's start here. What were the disciples doing when the Spirit came to them and in them? That's a good question. What were they up to? Okay. We know that Jesus told them, hey, I'm going. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. So they were waiting. They trusted Jesus. They were trusting. They obeyed what Jesus said. They were obeying. And they were praying. Maybe if I want to see more of the Holy Spirit in my life, a great starting point would be I trust, I obey Jesus, and I wait for him. Well, all of a sudden, we're one question in, and we've created all kinds of meaning. I'll tell you what, this is a good question, because when you look at the way some people search for the Holy Spirit and the activity of God, they do it like tornado chasers. You guys ever see, you remember the movie Twister from the 90s? You remember, like, there, there are, and this is true, if you don't know about Twister from the 90s, can I tell you something? There are people who, their career, as they wait, Oklahoma, Texas, places like that, they wait for a tornado to drop down, they hop in their car and go to the tornado. They say that the researchers, like, that is not research. No, like, you don't research a natural disaster. I mean, you just run. And, and so they go and they chase. There's people who pursue God. They want more God in their life. So they become like tornado chasers. Oh, I heard over here that the Holy Spirit's doing something. Maybe I can jump in on that. Oh, wait, they got a cool thing. And they hosted this worship night. I heard there are a lot of people at the worship night. Maybe, maybe that was a sign that the Holy Spirit was doing something. And they go running around hoping to get a little more God. Can I give you a note to take? When God makes you a promise, you don't have to go chasing it. When like God through his power and his word and his love for you speaks something to you, you're in the word and God said, hey, deliverance is coming or you can trust me or you're forgiven, you don't have to waste a moment of your life running around trying to chase and manufacture the things of God. You can wait on the promises of God confident that he will deliver you in his time. What do I do when I want more Jesus, when I want more spirit, when I want more God, when I want him to fix something, when I want him to fix me, to change me, to heal me? What do I do? I wait. 
I read my Bible. I pursue Him in prayer. I fill myself up with Jesus' promises and I trust in His time He is going to fulfill those for me. And I reject and I run from any voice that tells me I have to make it happen myself. Can I tell you... Oh, can I tell you where I see people miss God the most? There's two places that we're going to talk about both of them. You know, when you know where I see people miss God? When they force it. I've seen so many people, and it was like obvious, like, you are supposed to stay in your upper room. God wants you here. He wants you waiting. He wants you praying. He wants you preparing. He wants you healing. That's where you're supposed to be. But then they got bored with the upper room. They went downstairs to fix a sandwich. They ignored what Jesus said about staying here. Then God shows up and what? You miss him. God puts you in a place of preparation. And it's hard and it's gritty and no one's looking and you keep showing up and doing the faithful thing every single day but nothing's happening as fast as you want it to happen. So instead of sitting in the place of preparation, you go out here making things happen and you forget the fact that God put you over there to prepare you for this place. You get to this place without the lessons, without the strength, without the power that God wants to give you, and now you've got to do all this on your own, and it crushes you. My friend and mentor, Pastor Matt Reagan, taught me a phrase that's been with me for 15 years now. I'll never forget him saying that. Things conceived in the Spirit are maintained by the Spirit. But things conceived in the flesh have to be maintained by the flesh. Do you get what he's saying? I can pull all the levers available to me. I can posture. I can show up. I can say the right things in front of the right people, get my foot in the door, slim my way through there, and get into the room. But if it wasn't the Spirit who opened the door for me, I got to keep posturing and lying and faking it and forcing it. And I'll be the reason this room feels wrong. But when God opens the door, no one can shut that on you. Jesus follower, when you wait and you trust and you believe and you refuse to force it, you're inviting God to open the door for you. I've been in both rooms. There's a difference. We weren't made or called to force it. What if we asked the question, what is the Holy Spirit accomplishing today? Or on this day in the text? Answer number one is whatever He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants to do it. And it sounds like I'm being facetious or silly here, but uh, you want some Holy Spirit 101? The Holy Spirit does whatever He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants to do it. He didn't knock that day. Here the Spirit blows into a room 
and we see tongues of fire. Later, we're going to see the Holy Spirit preaching a sermon through Peter. Chapter 4, we're going to see the Holy Spirit heal a man so he can walk. Later, we're going to see the Holy Spirit telling Paul to go tell, preach the gospel. Then we're going to see the Spirit tell Paul not to preach the gospel. And we're going to see the Holy Spirit fill somebody up when they get baptized. And then we're going to see another person get baptized. And the Spirit doesn't fill them. How do you make sense of this, Matt? Like, what is he doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's doing whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants to do it. And he will not be coerced or manipulated by mankind. This is why when Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit in John, he said these words, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And if you have your real Bible in front of you, the, the people who put it together put a little note in there because it was so good. You have that little D. Or if you're in your U version, you can click the little D and it will suck you down to the bottom of the page and you'll get this little note. And it says Greek. The Greek for Spirit is the same as the word for wind. Wind and spirit are both pneuma in your scriptures. And Jesus goes, guys, you want to know the spirit? He acts like the wind. Have you ever heard the wind? You're getting a taste of the spirit. Can I tell you something? You don't tell the wind where to blow or how to blow or when to blow. The wind does what it pleases and so does the Holy Spirit of God. Many of the people who said, heard Jesus say these words, fished for a living in sailboats. And they were well aware that I don't force the wind, I don't tell the wind when to be blowing, I put my sail up. You want more Holy Spirit, Jesus follower, you keep your sail up. You pursue him daily. You stop. It, it's not crazy. It's not 50 incantations. You're walking, you're opening the door of your workplace, and you go, Holy Spirit, just guide me today. Show me, who, show me what you want me to do. You open the word, and you say, Holy Spirit, teach me this morning. Guide me. You keep your sail up. You pursue him. You walk with him. And he guides you. Here's the second place people miss the things of God. We get so focused on what God has done, we miss what God is doing and wants to do. So here in chapter 2, we have tongues of fire. In chapter 4, we have a miraculous healing. And in chapter 18, we have the voice saying, go preach the gospel. But, but in chapter 4, if the beggar who was crippled is sitting there, and they were like, no, I'm sorry, man. We've been praying that tongues of fire would come and fill and fall on you. I mean, in two chapters ago, you should have been there. That was so cool. And, and I'm sorry, bud, but we don't really have much for you. Because they were fixated on what the Spirit did in chapter 2. They would have missed what he wanted to do in chapter 4. It happens to well-intentioned Jesus followers all the time. Well, back here, it was this Bible study. And oh my gosh, there was... Woo! We did it in the living room and we outgrew the living room because so many people were there for the Bible study. And man, I'll tell you what, we got to get that study going again because if we got that going again, man, we'd feel God again. But what if it was God wanting to grow you through Bible study in that chapter of your life, but it's 
foster care in this chapter of your life? What if he did? You prayed and you needed money and that check showed up in the mail and you're like, that's part of my testimony. I wasn't expecting a check, but I got a check and now you're getting a little tight again and things are tight and you're like, what do I do? But what if he doesn't want to send a check anymore? He wants you to speak your mind and give you that promotion that's sitting here. If you are sitting there waiting for a check, you miss the promotion. God had to remind Israel of this all the time. Isaiah 43, this is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea. We're talking about Exodus. God frees Israel from slavery. They come out of Israel and through the Red Sea. This is, this is so cool. This is a, this, gosh, here's how I read it, okay? I'm not putting, I'm not saying this is how God said it, but here's how I, hey, um, Guys, guys, this is, this is what the Lord says. Uh, just so you remember, it's me. Like, I, I parted the sea. We walked through dry land. You guys remember that? A path through the mighty waters who drew the chariots and horses and the army and the reinforcements together and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished and snuffed out like a wick. Hey, remember? And the Pharaoh started, he wanted you back and he started pursuing you and they were in chariots and they were coming after you. And then I opened the sea and you guys got through and all the chariots were coming through and you were nervous and I swallowed them up in the ocean and they were never a problem again. Yeah, that was fun, guys. That was cool. Hey, that was a part of your testimony. But forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Why? Because I am doing a new thing. Keep your eyes open, Jesus follower. One thing I love about this church, uh, we have people who are 16 who sit here and, and worship together, and we have people who are 68 who, who sit here and worship together. Can I tell you something? You should learn from uh, the more mature believers of Momentum. One thing I've always admired about our, our, our 60 and ups, they walk with this God's not done with me yet mentality. And that honors Jesus. It, I'm inspired by you guys because you have refused to lock yourself away in some place in time and you're still serving and shining and loving and keeping your eyes open to the things of God. And that is a beautiful and priceless example in this faith. Can we say thank you to them and just say we love you and we appreciate you? God's doing a new thing. So we, we reject the idea that when I felt a move that one time, that's exactly how he's going to move in my life over and over again. <laughs> what else was the Holy Spirit doing that day? Check this out. He's reconciling humanity back to itself. He's not just reconciling humanity back to God. He's reconciling humanity back to one another. When we read our verses here in Acts, we got this big group of people and nations. There were Africans there. There were Asians there. 
Arabs and Italians were there. So take a second and imagine the skin tones, the facial features, and the hair textures that were present that day. There's one other place in Scripture where we hear a table of nations listed and we see something happen with languages. If you went to Genesis chapter 11, you'd hear the story of the Tower of Babel. In chapter 10, you get this big list of people groups and tribes. And they all come together and they say, wow, look at us. Let's get together and build a huge tower with all of the technology that's available to us. But problem happens. They say, let's build a big tower, not for God's glory, but for our own. And so there's arrogance, hubris, and pride, and this humanity endeavors to build a big monument to themselves. And God shows up in judgment. Do you remember what God's judgment was? He confuses their languages. And so, poof, in a minute, there's different tribes, tongues, and factions that instantly develop animosity to one another, hatred towards one another, and eventually war. Time out. So there's arrogance and pride that amounts to racial division and hatred. It is still arrogance and pride that sits underneath racism today. But something amazing happens at Pentecost in the book of Acts. As a multicultural, multi-ethnic, and multinational church, we cannot miss this. Tim Keller says it like this. At Babel, people of one speech could not understand one another because they were trying to reach up to heaven in their own strength and make a name for themselves. At Pentecost, the people of many speeches were able to understand God's message. Why? Because in Acts 2, God comes down again, but this time in blessing and not judgment. At Pentecost, God reversed the curse of Babel through the work of His Son. In Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew. In Ephesians 2, 14, Paul explains that the cross removes the pride and self-aggrandizement that leads to racial animosity and human disunity. Now, oh, now the church is to show the world how in Christ the lost community of humanity can be recovered. We are to be an alternate, uh, alternate, alternate city of God in the midst of every city of man showing the unity of persons across culture and race and class barriers 
that only Christ can bring what he is saying is at Pentecost through the cross God has made a way for true reconciliation to happen. Um, it, it means what we're doing here, when we together from, like we have at least six countries represented here right now in different places and backgrounds and languages that would be spoke. I wish we could add it up. I'm telling you all of a sudden I want to have a church potluck and say, hey, bring your food from your place. Here, let's get down next week. But can I tell you something? That is spiritual warfare in a culture that is doing everything it can to separate itself and divide when we come together and we're drawn together because of Christ we're declaring war on a world that says we are supposed to be separate we are making much of Jesus by coming together and saying if his blood is running through your veins and his blood's running through my veins then we're family and that's all that matters. Which brings us to the words racial reconciliation. Band, you guys could come on up. Do you know the real hope for racial reconciliation? Do, do you know what would actually make it so it's just as safe for a young black man to drive home at night as it is for a young white kid to drive home at night? Do you know what would actually make it so that universities don't have to increase, enforce goofy rules and end up working backwards? A revival of men and women who have been and decided to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Our hope is not in Washington, on either side of the aisle. I know so because when my scriptures tell me where my hope comes from, it points to the Holy Spirit, the book of Colossians. To them, God has chosen to make known the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? The mystery is like, how do we see our world healed? The mystery is like, how do I change my selfish heart and become more loving? How is racism surgically extracted from an arrogant soul? How do we do this? How do I do faithfulness? How do I do love? How do I do power? How do I do boldness? How do I do becoming what Jesus wants me to be? The mystery has been revealed. And what is it? It's Christ in you. It is the Holy Spirit that is the hope of glory. How do we change this thing? How do we make it so God's kingdom is breaking forth in this one? It is through obedience to the Holy Spirit. Now, I get it, right? We all want that, but especially for some of you who have been direct victims of certain racist acts, it could sound like I'm being a little idealistic. Now, you can't just say Holy Spirit 
and, and take 400 years of history and erase them. And you don't know what it was like for me growing up. You can't just be like, Holy Spirit, all right, go get them and, and expect we're good. You can't just say Holy Spirit and think you're going to change the whole world. And I, I would say you're right. I can't change the whole world. But I can change my world. And you could change your world. And together, we could walk in the Spirit in such a way where we change this little corner of our world in such a way where we say, hey, God, we're holding it down right here. Like this little community you've entrusted to us, my little workspace, your little office, where you go, where I go. Hey, we are going to walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit and we're going to trust you to change some things in this world. We could do that. That's what we're seeking. That's what we're living for. Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray as we close. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we do. We do want more. We want to see you moving here and now and today like we see in the pages of Scripture. Would you lead us into those new days? Would you re lead us into those places and spaces Would you invade our space? Sometimes we don't know the way forward. But Jesus says, your church, we trust. We walk and we trust. We ask that you, as we sing this song, would continue to move and fill us. And we ask that it wouldn't just stay here, but it would go with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.